Welcome to the Get Star Brazilian podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara. Today we are joined by Belinda Noel from Sikov, who's the Chief Growth Officer. How are you doing today, Belinda? I'm really well, yeah. Very excited to um, have this conversation with you today, Gar. And so am I. It's a Friday morning and it always feels like a really lovely day to record. You know, people yeah. tend to be in a good mood on a Friday. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, so we, we, this episode, it's, it's kind of a, I think, a kind of nice backstory. We've known each other for quite a while, just from around the traps in cyber. Um, and happened to bump into each other in Melbourne. I was having a coffee with somebody and you were walking by and um, you were about to run into an event you guys are running around our topic today, actually OT. So um, quite a nice uh, a nice uh, serendipitous uh, meeting that we had in, in Melbourne. Um, Belinda, look, the, the first thing we ask everybody is, um, obviously you're sitting as the Chief Growth Officer at Sokov today um, and you guys operate in the, the sort of OT environment. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I'm sure like most people's careers, it's all, um, you may be serendipitous as well as a way that you can describe it, but I actually did an art degree. Um, so I've always been a very creative person and was always involved in doing lots of events and different things in the community. Um, so I've always had that kind of side to me, but then GFC and certain different things meant that I sort of ended up working in sales um, and I worked in London and, and Hong Kong and then I came to Sydney about 10 years ago and that's when I got my first taste of cybersecurity. so I was working in a payments company but um, they used to work with a tool that could help discover um, personal identifiable information and credit card data and organizations and I sort of got hooked and started to go to all the ISACA and ASA meetings um, and then a few years later, I moved from payments uh, fully into cybersecurity. And during that time, I met my husband. And three years ago, around three years ago, just as I was about to have my first child, um, he decided that he wanted to set up Sokolv and he wanted to set up a company that was specializing in OT cybersecurity because he felt like there wasn't that many organizations doing it at the time. And it was very interesting and and fast-growing area of hmm. cybersecurity. So it's definitely been a really big last kind of three years. And, and we work with companies um, in various sectors, but, you know, things like water, energy, uh, food manufacturing. And our mission is to protect critical infrastructure organizations from cyber attacks. So it's quite a good mission to make you get out of bed in the morning. Um and my role is is really around that initial sales cycle, so reaching out to customers um, around their OT security. Um, I've worked heavily, you know, it literally was me and my husband on day one. So I really got involved in like that marketing side and trying to be creative in, you know, how we position ourselves. Um, there's quite a few people in the OT security area doing it well. So that's mm. definitely been quite a cool and exciting journey. Um, and from the beginning, we did a lot of industry events, sort of getting, you know, meeting and bringing the industry together over different topics and including legislation. Um, and then last year, I set up the OT cybersecurity meetups, which are just open events for anyone who's in OT and OT cybersecurity um, or who's interested. Maybe you're a student. And that's even where I met you, Gar, <laughs> sitting outside the venue in Melbourne. And I was like, hey, come along. Um, but unfortunately, you were busy. But um, so that's been really great. And we've done those across the country. And then the last part that I've been involved in is our um, is OTSAT, which is our OT security awareness training platform. So I've been helping create some of the content and the look and feel um, of that. So 
at the same time though I've had two babies <laughs> so I've also been juggling being a new mum and working in a startup so that's kind of yeah I guess my journey and, and my role that is uh, that's phenomenal and I suspect <laughs> the, the having babies is probably the part that takes up so much time I've got friends who um obviously you know kind of both parents are working full-time and yeah that juggle of childcare and who's got the child today and you know if they're sick who's going to stay home who's going to work it's uh I can imagine uh, it's pretty, pretty hectic. Um, and I was bummed, actually. Like, I know, um, yeah, that meetup that was happening that day, um, you, you kind of mentioned that you started going to Osaka and Asia meetings, and it almost sounds like, um, you know, sort of a subterranean subculture kind of thing that we all do. But I'd, I actually really like those events. You get to meet so many awesome people. Um, yeah. But yeah, that day was just it was an absolute humdinger, so I couldn't, uh, couldn't get <laughs> next there. But time. Yeah, next, yeah, I was going to say, next time I'm down, I'm definitely keen to, to get along. Um, but uh, Bill and uh, for today's conversation, it'd be great to kind of ground us in the topic we're going to talk to um, and, and talk about. And, you know, obviously that's OT and then specifically the cybersecurity considerations there, which are, I think, nuanced and different versus IT and, and some of the stuff that maybe, you know, air, air quotes, regular cyber people would be thinking about. Um, but as we get started, what what is OT and what's OT cybersecurity? Okay, yeah. So... OT or operational technology is essentially technology that runs a physical process. So what I mean by that is it starts and stops pumps to transfer water from a reservoir to a tank in the suburbs or sewage from the suburbs to a water treatment facility. So it's technology that runs that physical process. So historically, you would associate OT with industrial facilities such as energy generation companies or mm -hmm. manufacturing companies of, say, food and drink. But now OT is used in other environments such as like office buildings to control the air conditioning or hmm. the automation of the opening of doors. So OT can be found in industrial organizations, but now there's also a lot of other industries that are using OT to automate and run a physical process. Um, a really good analogy of that is... If you think about a bucket of water and trying to fill that water up to the same line manually, you think you'd think that would be really easy, but actually it's it's hard to, you know, not overfill or underfill the bucket. So essentially what what operational technology does is it makes sure that the water hits that line exactly every time. And then it allows you to replicate that process at scale. And then that technology allows you to basically monitor and optimize that process. So that's essentially what operational technology is. It, it is such a, I was going to say it's emerging, but it's not really. I suppose it's been around, like, to your point. And, you know, when we were prepping for the episode today, we were talking about how long, you know, sensors, production, you know, the, the sort of robots that make things and make things exactly the same way each time and protect the dams and like all of that stuff has been around for a long time, but it's definitely... The security considerations feels like that's sort of new. Um, so my wife works in uh, sustainability on, on this, in the built environment. And um, she was at a conference. I think it was actually only last week. But she, she was saying that she, it's the first time she remembers the cyber side of things being such a big consideration in smart buildings and, you know, the built environment. And, and exactly as you said, you know, how do you make sure that the window opens exactly the right amount to let in the right amount of air or... I, I, you, probably tell immediately I don't know anything about the built environment but um like it, it seems like uh like cyber in general it's an, like it's a it, it is a topic that has just come to the fore when it comes to uh, OT built environments and that kind of stuff one of the things that would be 
like I'm super interested to get the that get you to talk us through is the differences and the overlap when it comes to things like OT, IT, and actually these days IoT. Um, you know, there are probably three big areas that people can think about, and I'm assuming in an event diagram there's overlap there, and there's there's some stuff that's kind of separate. But it'd be great if you could talk us through that. Yeah, definitely. So I think you're right. Um, OT cybersecurity is definitely a newer field of cybersecurity, which is weird in some ways because OT has been around for a long time. Um, but because of the um, isolation of OT historically, it wasn't such a concern. So um, there's now a lot of kind of different overlap. But the, the primary difference between IT and, and OT is that is is that is that OT runs that physical process, whereas IT doesn't. So IT is your typical technology that runs, you know, your house and your office, your laptops, your corporate networks, um, whereas um, OT is running that that physical process. But in terms of the technology nowadays, the, what runs OT and IT is fairly similar. Mm. But OT has lots of complexities. In OT, you have something called the Purdue model, um, and essentially, there's a lot more levers, levels and layers in the OT network than IT. So it makes it far more complicated to secure and to be a specialist in that as well. So IoT is essentially, and and those, sorry, and 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 to your point, um, those two areas, IT and OT, are becoming more converged, which I'll, I'll okay. mention in a second. But IoT is essentially sensors and devices that collect data, and they bring that back from back to sort of one place. So that's for a scientist or an engineer to look at that data. So they could be monitoring water levels for floods or an electricity meter at home. So um, this is an area that's gaining a lot of momentum and use cases, um, just like in the smart buildings, the, hmm. what your wife is seeing, that there's a lot more IoT in smart buildings, healthcare, energy, um, pretty much any industry. But also that can then become an attack vector for cyber. So... And I think the also the big difference is that, you know, people in smart buildings, for example, are taking that more seriously because, for example, in smart buildings, you're like, so what? My aircon goes down. Like, why does that matter? Well, you know, you have massive corporate clients and then that could affect them being able to work and being in the office and that could affect your brand and many other things. So I think people are starting to get that actually the implications, um, even if it's just your air conditioning unit, can be quite large um and generally we're seeing you know industry 4.0 and we're seeing that technology and the connectivity between it and ot you know it's 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 pretty much is connected these days mm. and you've got things like remote access working from anywhere so you've got that technology convergence but also what i find really interesting is the convergence of people in organizations so IT and OT teams and organizations used to be completely separate and the OT teams would do their own thing on the OT environments and the IT people would do their own thing on the IT environments. Um, but what some organizations are doing and BHP is a good example is they're bringing the two teams together and mm -hmm. in BHP's case they call it the technology team and therefore they're then leveraging some of the skills in the IT and the cyber teams and then you know bringing that to OT and vice versa. Because OT teams have a lot more to on their plate, um, but with often a lot less people to do it. So, um, yeah, I think there's that convergence in technology, but also people, which is really interesting in, in OT and how you bring those worlds together of 
the more OT and engineering backgrounds versus the more IT and corporate parts of the business. So like from that, then it would be interesting to get a sense of like, has the world of OT cybersecurity gained momentum? Because there's a lot of attention on, on CNI and it's getting a lot of attention in terms of how important it is. And then potentially like it's, it's got a perceived immaturity when it comes to cyber. A hundred percent. So I think that OT and OT security has become a more mainstream type of cybersecurity. And I think it certainly has a lot of people's attention. And there is more immaturity in OT security just because it's just been that these operational technology is just its primary goal or the primary goal of, of that technology is to make water run to, you know, your house or the energy grid kind of kept on. So their whole focus is around operations and making this work. So cybersecurity just hasn't been... Um, as important. And then also you have the fact that historically that network was just more segregated. But I think people are really starting to change that mindset. So a couple of, you know, two of the biggest threats to OT that we see is is ransomware, obviously. Okay. Um, but now there is ransomware that's been specifically made to target OT, which is pretty scary. Um, attacks in critical infrastructure and OT can be financially motivated. But we are seeing a huge growth in cyber warfare and nation state attacks with huge budgets and times to do sophisticated attacks on critical infrastructure. So you have examples of things like Stuxnet in 2000 or the mm -hmm. Australian, uh, Ukrainian power grid um, in 2015. So I think people are becoming more aware in OT and, and generally people are being aware about cybersecurity and critical infrastructure. So environments are, you know, becoming more converged with IT. So the other aspect to to cybersecurity and awareness is actually making the OT people aware of of cybersecurity and, and what their actions might mean. So you might have someone who's just, you know, makes a mistake essentially and they make changes to code and they're not going through the change process so that they cause a cyber vulnerability. And um, you know, it's about trying to trying to change that mentality and stop those types of things from happening. But you might also get a disgruntled employee, which happens mm. all the time in IT, um, who knows the processes and can cause some damage. So a good example of this is um, the Maruchi Shire attack here in Australia in 2000. It's up in the Sunshine Coast. And essentially a disgruntled employee of a water service provider to the council um, left that company, which he'd been with for a few years in kind of quite shady circumstances, um, and then he tried to get a job with the council and he didn't get the job. So he just thought, right, I'm just going to screw up the water. And mm -hmm. he took equipment um, and he managed to release like hundreds of thousands of gallons of sewage into the water system over about three months. And because it was such a novel attack, people, you know, it took quite a while to work out what was happening. Um, but, you know, these, these are all the types of different attacks. So, I think when organizations start to see the whole picture, they start to realize like, actually, there's a lot of different things coming at us that we need to obviously take into account in our planning and the risk management. Um, and one of the things that, you know, people say is, you know, is about a lot of these critical infrastructure have, have um, organizations have safety ingrained in their culture. And now what, what people are trying to say is let's bring cyber 
you know, and ingrain that cyber safety culture as much into the culture as, as safety is. Yeah, definitely as it should be. Um, you're, you're reminding me of some of the articles I've read over the years of um, critical infrastructure. And the ones that seem to pop into my mind are, are actually quite often U.S. stories. And I think it's just the mm. size of the U.S. means you, you kind of hear the the tales from there maybe more frequently from from other companies, but sorry, countries. But, um, you know, I, I heard one of the, I think it was like a municipal dam in, in somewhere in the U.S. And um, the article described the, this sort of facility is basically an incredibly important place that was um, guarded by the equivalent of two plumbers. Um, and that's no reflection on plumbers. They're amazing what they do in the area of plumbing. But when it comes to things like cybersecurity, how would they have any idea what to do? Um, and they said that in the article, they were talking about how common that actually is, where, you know, you've got physical fences maybe, but actually nothing protecting the the OT environment within, you know, dams, electrical uh, sorry, energy providers, you know, healthcare and all of those things. And it makes sense, right? As you said, exactly. The priority has always been the continuity of the service, like the water flows to the town, the sewage mm. flows away, like that's the priority rather than um, protecting. And then I'm, I'm guessing as things have been connected into the internet, that was the, maybe an inflection point where, and I think this is kind of repeating what you've already said, you know, it was air gapped, so it didn't really matter until it was connected to the internet. And then all of a sudden, it really matters that, um, you know, things are being protected. And, it, you know, let's be honest, governments have been paying much more attention to cyber um, in general. But I think there's lately been a particular focus on critical national infrastructure and all those entities that are digitally connected into CNI. So not just the CNI providers, but actually the third party suppliers into them because they're a way in. How have you sort of seen that stuff play out globally, so the government angle, and then obviously then locally here in Australia? Yeah, I think it's been massive. I think uh, the US and the UK are probably leading quite a lot of these changes to legislation, and then that's kind of fed down to Australia. I think the Australian government is playing a huge part in the uplift of cybersecurity across critical infrastructure. And I think, you know, the communication that's coming out of the government around cybersecurity is is absolutely huge at the moment. And within critical infrastructure um, in the home affairs, they have a department called the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Center. And essentially that's the body that's driving a lot of the regulation and legislation of um, what in Australia is called the SOCI Act, so the mm. Security of Critical Infrastructure Act. And they've been working with industry to get their feedback on that Um And essentially in Australia, that's been expanded and amended over the past two years. And there's likely to be more amendments later on this year. So the legislation covers 11,000 organizations at the moment that have to comply with this legislation. And one of the key things that they did is they expanded the sectors under the SOCI Act. So it includes industries such as data processing, transport, food and manufacturing. So I think that also highlights how the landscape has changed because historically, you know, what was deemed critical infrastructure was before it was electricity, gas, water and ports. So um, even banking, which is an OT, is part of the SOCI Act because the government is seeing, well, if the banking system goes down, that is that is critical infrastructure. So um, there's definitely a lot happening in that space. And I actually 
recently went to a conference that was run um, by um, the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Center. And the head of the center is a guy called Hamish Hansford. And he basically talked about how after 9-11 in the US, they, um, they did a report into how did this happen. And essentially the conclusion of the report was it was a lack of imagination. <laughs> and I think that's what they're trying to say to us and to the critical infrastructure organizations is we need to have like a, quite a big imagination in terms of some of these worst case scenarios. Um, and they want the critical infrastructure organizations to take cybersecurity as seriously as part of their other business risks, you know, like they might do around safety or floods and fires. So I think I think the government is playing an absolutely huge part in kind of, <clears throat> sorry, driving down that kind of cybersecurity obligations for organizations and really making sure that the board and the executives are, are really, they, as part of this legislation, they're required to be aware of their responsibilities for a secure and resilient critical infrastructure in Australia. So it's really kind of pushing the bat, I guess, <laughs> yeah. um, on these organizations, um, which is really, really good. So yeah, the, gov the government is doing a lot and that's putting a lot on these organizations as well. Um, because some of, you know, some of these organizations we talked about, you know, are mature, but a lot of them aren't. And a lot yep. of them is very complicated to secure. And as you said, you know, you've got a few people running these huge <laughs> water systems or, or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a huge change and uplift that needs to happen. Yeah, but to your point, it does need to happen. Um, I think that that's the world, unfortunately, that we live in. Um, it's it's a little while ago now, I think, but when we were preparing for today's conversation, you mentioned something that kind of tweaked my interest, which was around how you you champion the OT people, and mm. um, it'd be great if you could just kind of walk you walk us through that, and, and why do you think that's important? Yeah, I think because OT security is gaining such traction in the market, I wanted to champion and profile people in OT because I think. Sometimes they get lost in the messaging and it's quite easy to say, oh, those people in OT or they're not doing this. Um, and there's just generally so much noise in OT security because you've got a lot of organizations because of Socky and other things trying to work in OT security. And then you have a lot of these OT cybersecurity vendors who I would say have played a huge role in educating and bringing awareness around OG security and some of the threats and, you know, some of the different, you know, ransomwares and things like that that are out there. Um, so I think that they've sort of really helped bring OT security to the mainstream as well. But I sort of just like the idea of actually, you know, looking at who are the people in OT and, you know, what are they, what are they doing? And what I found is that People who work in OT are generally very passionate about what they do. They're not necessarily always, you know, financially as mo motivated. Like they, they, they work in these. They're passionate about, you know, the operations and what they're doing for yep. that organization. And they can, they can often work in organizations for really long periods of time, so decades. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen people who've worked with an organization for forty years. Hmm. So their understanding of the operations of an organization in that field is like is like not none other. So I just find it really interesting, people in OT, it's a very small group. Um, so what we've been doing is doing kind of um, video interviews of people and blogs and that type of thing, just trying to champion people in OT and what they do and maybe some funny stories of sort of what they do out in the field. 
it's not always kind of sexy work working in like a smelly uh, water facility yeah. kind of out in the field. So, you know, I think I think it was just to kind of maybe bring more of that personal side. And recently, like one of the people that we interviewed is the head of OT security at an energy company in Australia. Um, it's like on our LinkedIn page. Um, but one of the stories that he gives is that he was having to make an update on a PLC, which is one of these OT kind of technologies we're talking about, a program logic program logical controller and he didn't have enough memory to complete the update and this was causing a bit of panic for him and the organization because he was you know they might have had to shut down operations to to complete to complete this and that would have been a huge issue um but then luckily someone dropped a wrench on the track and the network did go down temporarily oh. and he was able to make the update <laughs> <laughs> but i think yeah, exactly. So, but I think those kind of stories from the person kind of help highlight the challenges of this industry and just how different it is from from IT. So, um, it's I've called it OT stories from the field. And so, um, you know, follow our LinkedIn page, and you know, hopefully, you can see lots more of these kind of stories evolve and, and be shared. So, quite literally, a spanner in the works like that. That's yeah. a, <laughs> an amazingly lucky <laughs> thing to have. Exactly. Um, we, exactly. We will include the links to that in the show notes um, for the listeners. That sounds actually really, really quite an interesting, yeah, an interesting set of videos uh, that uh, that you guys are producing. That's amazing. Um, and look, as we round out, and we've sort of touched on this, I think a little bit, but um, there's probably maybe more to it. And it's the, the kind of big differences when it comes to OT cybersecurity and, and how people could think about that sort of versus mm-hmm. the regular cybersecurity. And I think when we think regular, like so often it's technical controls, it's firewalls, it's, you know, it's email filters, it's that stuff. But mm-hmm. obviously the world that you're operating is 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 different. So it'd be great to get, yeah, those big differences between OT, um, OT security and, and how we can think about that. Yeah. So the, 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 if you think about IT security, it's all about what we call CIA, which is confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Um, but in OT security, everything is really around safety and resilience. <laughs> like you don't want someone losing an arm or you don't want something blowing up. <laughs> Um, but, you know, also, um, you know, some of the impacts that could happen in OT security can affect, you know, society. It doesn't doesn't even have to be something like that happening for it to cause um, quite a big impact. Mm-hmm. So a good example of that is a few years ago um, in the US, um, uh, uh, the Colonial Pipeline, um, which is a big pipeline that goes all across the East Coast of America, um, the IT side of the business got hit with a ransomware, um, but they had to turn off their OT operations. Um, and that ended up in kind of huge panic across the nation. Um, you know, you might have a lack of gas for airports or mm. ambulances. There were pictures of general public holding plastic bags of gas at petrol stations and things like that. So I think OT security... Um, is is really having to look at um, you know that that physical aspect and also the fact that it can affect communities and the public at large and have different disruptions um, to supply chain or food or all of those sorts of things. So I think there's just many aspects of OT security that make it more um, challenging. And, and even this person um, that we interviewed said, you know, it's almost easier for an OT person to become an OT security person than it is 
for an IT security person to become an OT security person. And I think that's also one of the biggest issues is just the, um, you know, IT security is quite mature and there's a lot of people that know and understand IT security and you have quite big teams. Um, but really OT security is that newer phase. You have got, you know, that single point of failure often mm. in a lot of organizations with the OT person. So how can they possibly also be managing big cybersecurity projects as well? So there's some big differences, but then there's also some similarities. I mean, a okay. lot of the security things that you would do are similar, you know, around security awareness, a training or, or, you know, discovering all your assets and, you know, checking that there isn't vulnerability, you know, that there isn't compromise on your network and being able to detect, um, you know, doing your cyber risk assessments so you know what your crown jewels are and to prioritize but it's just that in OT, it just is that little bit more complicated because you can't just patch a system or make changes to it. <laughs> in fact, that's often the last thing that people want to do in OT. Yeah. And some of these companies, they're really disparate. You know, water companies can have hundreds of sites across the state. So, you know, how do you pick which one? How do you pick on which security challenges to focus on around OT security? So I think I think that there's a lot of work being done in this space on, on, you know, what to look at and how to secure it, but it's still definitely growing and there's still very few people in reality that actually specialize in OT security. So the other kind of, I guess, the last element is just this operational technology wasn't built with cybersecurity in mind. Yep. These are sometimes engineering feats of wonder, but, you know, they're very hard to, to update or make changes to. So all these different reasons make it kind of more interesting in a way or, or challenging um, in a way to secure. But but it's sort of why it's it's not just a simple, you know, put this technology in, do this, hmm. do this patch, um, you know, do a bit of training. It's it's there's a there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more at stake, you know, if some of this OT goes down, that's a huge problem. Um, if you're, you know, if your core business um, and you're providing critical infrastructure services to, you know, the country, then that's that can be a big problem. So um, I hope that explains um, some of my thoughts kind of around that. It definitely does. And the, the big sense I get from what you've just said is just the, well, the stakes are higher fundamentally. That's it, right? It's, mm. the, it's the potential human loss of life or injury. Um, you know, it's, it's, disruption at a scale that a business you tend to not really see in the same way um and i think that's a really interesting thing to think about and ponder is just the like the impact of a ransomware successful breach or an attack on an organization that's maybe just a commercial entity that maybe is in retail it's it's an awful and horrible thing it's going to affect people's livelihoods you know the ability for that business to do you know, create revenue but it's a very different conversation when you're talking about um you know, energy getting knocked out, which is going to affect hospitals and and manufacturing and, you know, all of the other stuff. So I think that's, um, yeah, look, I, I definitely, I think that is um, is useful. Going a little bit off script here, Belinda, if it's okay, and you might yes. not know the answer to this, but <laughs> um, we've had a lot of folks on lately just talking about the psychology and the kind of burnout in, you know, in regular IT cybersecurity. And I'm, I'm guessing you're probably aware mm. of that problem for CISOs. Like, is there a similar conversation going on in the OT world where, you know, the folks who maybe aren't even traditional cybersecurity people, but, you know, the the OT people that you champion, like, is mm. there a, a creeping level of stress for them as you interview them and talk to them 
where they, they actually understand the implications of cybersecurity now? And do they feel any kind of rising sense of tension or pressure? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, s- someone described to me as well um, in, a, in a recent interview um, that OT people can be slightly unloved part of an organization as well. So I think, you know, if you, if you think about that, yeah, your role is so focused on that, that operation side. Mm. And um, then now you've got to add cybersecurity and, and um, you know, you've potentially got to make changes to the processes. Um, I think that that is hugely stressful. And just, just because, you know, there's so few people with that knowledge of that OT process in an organization and then you're adding cybersecurity and you're all these people from IT and the cyber team suddenly coming and knocking on your door and, and annoying you. <laughs> um, so I think, I, think, I think it is. And I think, I think that's why, you know, the OT cybersecurity space needs to 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 grow and to get more people yeah. um, kind of involved to help with that challenge. But yeah, I think I think that burnout and um, that you know fatigue and all of those things that's just definitely happening in all areas of cybersecurity. And I think when we speak to people in companies today, they're just so busy as well. So what when we first started our security awareness training. Um, and one of the reasons that we built a platform is because these people are just too busy to take eight hours at first. Then it was mm. four hours and then two hours um, of their time. They're just yeah. so busy. So it's it's hard to get people away from what they're doing, even in the first place. So let alone adding this huge complexity around cybersecurity and the risks and the things that could go wrong. But uh, they they are um, sort of you know your your people in OT is sort of like your last line of defense, <laughs> you know if if the attackers get all the way into your OT network. So what I say is that your 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 OT people are your most critical assets, you know because if they're not, you know if you're not looking after them, then you know you could have a Marucci Shire <laughs> type yeah. incident, or you know they could be so burnt out and tired that they make a mistake. And then that mistake leads to something bad happening, which, you know, and if something really bad happened in critical infrastructure and you felt like that was your fault, then obviously that would be pretty awful as well. Yeah, hopefully um, people are tapping into your meetups because I do think just the, the the conversation sometimes with peers who are going through the same thing is just therapeutic and, and mm. cathartic and and very important. So we'll definitely include the link to that in the uh, the show notes. We, we've hit time, Belinda. Um, thank you. Great so much for uh, for joining us today i'm so glad we bumped into each other in melbourne that yeah. day i love how this uh, this stuff happens you know where you get to have these conversations based on our, our random meeting in melbourne but um hey, thank you so much i know you guys have a lot on your plate at the moment so it's not lost to me that you've uh, taken the time out for the conversation today thanks a lot Guy, and i've really enjoyed it and um look forward to speaking soon thanks.